Andrew and Karen have been saying that over the last couple of months, you guys have been talking about the anointing and growing in the anointing and flowing in the anointing, and, which is a very, very awesome subject. So we're going to do our best to kind of track with that and add to what Andrew and Karen have brought. And so I want to talk today about enlargement. Who wants to grow? Are you sure? <laughs> Do you know what growth entails? <laughs> Our daughter Jordan, who's uh, approaching 13, is um, starting to shoot up and grow. She's nearly as tall as Lindley, which is quite frightening. Uh, but she's, uh, she's got growing pains. You know, and we, there's lots of wheat bags and heat packs and massages and, you know, she grew something like two centimetres in a month and um, she's like, she's off. <laughs> so I don't know where she's going to end up. But, you know, often in growth there's pain. And uh, I want to encourage us today that actually as we grow, as we enlarge, even though we might go through pain along the way, it is all good. And it all helps us grow in the anointing. It all helps us flow in the anointing. So if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 4, verse 1. One of my favorite verses. But while you're sort of doing that, I'll tell you a couple of stories. Just so you get a little bit of a window on, on who Lindley and I are. And, you know, some of the things that we've been through. And, you know, I talked about Jordan our daughter, who's approaching 13, uh, well, she didn't arrive on the scene until we were 40. So if you do the maths, you figure out how old I am. And, but she, uh, we got married when we were 23. So we had 17 years of marriage before she, she came along. And we went through quite a tough season, probably of 11 or 12 years, where we believed that we were infertile. You know, after a while, we had been through... Um, fertility program and all that kind of thing after we had done our overseas trip and bought our house and now it's time to have children. Um, we went through that journey and nothing actually really happened and so we went and saw the medical specialists and the outcome of all of that conversation was that uh, I am 100% infertile, I have the piece of paper at home and, uh, and Lindley is as well. And so we kind of just shelved the whole child thing but in that moment of which was a crushing moment for us. We just threw ourselves on the mercy of God. And it's like, God, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, we want plan A. And there's a deep yieldedness that comes in the heart of a person in that moment of crushing. But from that place, 11 years later, we, have, we had a beautiful little girl and uh, what's cool about the story is that after 11 years, our faith was completely gone for a miracle. After 11 years, we had no hope. We had no belief. We had no expectation. It was whatever measure you want to put on it, we were zero or negative. So we'd been through people praying for us and having dreams and prophetic words and all of those kind of stories, and they were, they were, it was great, but we could only lift ourselves up so many times, and so we let it die. 
but God is good. And God's purposes for your life will never be thwarted. They will never be eradicated. He brings to pass that which he wants to bring to pass. And so even though we had no faith, no hope, no belief, no expectation, the love of our Heavenly Father did it anyway. And there's someone here today that needs to hear that. You've been told you need to increase your faith. You need to G yourself up. You need to get going for your miracle. And while faith is definitely important and faith is an aspect and a part of it, and I wouldn't say for a minute that you need to let go of your faith, I just want to tell you that your Heavenly Father loves you and He is good and He will do it anyway because you are His and He did it for you and you're His joy. You know, I've been made redundant four times, <laughs> you know, sort of as we go through lives and career and that kind of thing. And I worked for manufacturing companies and, and um, New Zealand went through a stage where everybody woke up and realised that there's 30 million people on this side of the Tasman and there's 3 million people on the other side of the Tasman and why are we manufacturing in both places? Yeah. So through the sort of 90s, so many manufacturing companies shut up shop in New Zealand and just did it out of Australia and shipped it across the Tasman. So I decided after the third time of being made redundant from a manufacturing company that I would give this manufacturing lark a bit of a miss. <laughs> um, but each time I was, you know, had that kind of restructuring and consultation process and who here has been through, those, through, through that? And you go into the HR office and you hear that fateful news that your role has been disestablished. Well, for, I'm not sure exactly what it's like for women, but for men, you know, we have a very strong provider sense. And we, you know, provide for our family and we're bringing all of, you know, that's what we do, right? We go to work, we earn money, we come home, our family lives a life of, you know, whatever we can afford to facilitate for them. And so when that source of income is cut away, there's a, a deep realisation that actually you can't do it. And it was one of those, and you know, I had one period of time, which is not a redundancy, but we shifted countries, where I was nine months without work. And that was a crushing time, because I, I got to the point at the end of it where it was like, I can't do it. And, I, you know, and up until that point, I was always able to do it. I was always able to manufacture something never really realising that it is him who gives us the power to create wealth. And I got to the end of myself. There was nothing, there was nothing more I could do. And I just remember sitting with Lindley, having a moment of realisation, I can't do it. And, when I, and there was a brokenness attached to that and a crushing about that, that then released me into something great. And it wasn't until I reached that point, God used that nine-month period to bring me to the end of me so that he could begin. Yeah. And so much of what we go through in life is just about that. You know, we've been through various times of dishonor and rejection, betrayal of people that have been closest to us, we all go through stuff in life. But it's in these places that we grow. Yeah. 
It's in these places that God actually establishes something in us that is then meant to be poured out. And I love Psalm 4 verse 1. And in the Derby translation, it talks about, when I call, answer me, O God of my righteousness, in pressure you have enlarged me. Be gracious unto me, hear my prayer. In the King James, it's hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, you have enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Distress in there in the Hebrew is tight and narrow. You know, in those times where actually you can't do it, you've come to the end of yourself. There is nothing more that you can do. There's stuff that's happening around your life that's none of your doing. And you feel hemmed in. And it's narrow. And it's tight. And it's you, like, where is the way out? It is in that place, in that narrow place, that God enlarges you. It's in that place that you expand. And it does feel like a crushing in those moments. It's, it feels like, God, what are you doing? Sometimes we go, God, why are you doing this to me? He's not doing it to you. But he's taking advantage of an opportunity to grow you. Sometimes life is just life. Sometimes it's the enemy. But he works all things together for good for those who love him. The reason that you're being crushed, who here has been crushed, is being crushed, is fear, right? Welcome to the Christian faith, people. (laughs) Our Lord was crushed and poured out. You are being crushed so that you can be poured out. And there's so many metaphors. I love the, the wine. Where does the wine come from? Who likes wine? One or two. (laughs) Where does the wine come from? The wine comes from the pressing, the crushing of the grape. Who has olive oil in their salads? Where does the olive oil come from? From the pressing, from the crushing of the olive. Who eats bread? Where does the flour come from? It comes from the grinding, the crushing of the wheat. But you take all those things and out of that crushing out of, comes something good. Yeah. It come, out of those things come metaphors of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That we are crushed so that we may be poured out as our Lord and Saviour was crushed and poured out. Yeah. He was poured out and his blood encapsulated all of humanity through all of time. Wow. What will your crushing pour out from you? And will it be pure and will it be clear? Exodus 27, 20. And they shall bring clear oil, clear oil of beaten olives. There's a, there's a concept in our faith that actually brings us to this place of brokenness. But there's such beauty in our brokenness. When I look at Jesus, 
and I see him sitting on the park bench with me, his arm around my shoulder, saying, you are my joy. I was poured out for you. There's such a beauty in him. There's such a beauty in his brokenness. Everything that we have, that we enjoy, all of the restoration, the salvation, the healing, all is because of his crushing. Because he allowed himself to be poured out. And if we want to flow in greater levels of anointing and greater levels of this flow of the Spirit, then we need to allow those things to happen. And there's a yieldedness that comes in our heart to allow those things to fashion us and mold us and make us into who God is calling us to be. There's a purity that flows from the humble and the humid, submitted life. And you get around them, don't you? People, you get around people who have been through all kinds of stuff. And just about every person I've met that's been through life tragedy, life experience that's been hard, you either have an, op- you have an opportunity to be bitter or you have an opportunity to be humble and gracious. And how beautiful it is to be around the ones that chose the humble and gracious road. There's a beauty that flows from them that I want to be like. God loves it. And he flows through it. And he touches people through those lives. Lord, let us be ones that you can touch the lives of many through us. You know, David in Psalm 42 talks about all your waves and billows have gone over me. When you dig into that, the waves talk about the, you know, the breaking waves. And the billows is just like, it's often translated as heaps. It's a very Kiwi word. It's, oh, I love your heaps, mate. <laughs> lots and lots. Heaps. You know, there's a sense of, In David's life, he went through a lot, a lot of breaking. But, oh, deep calls unto deep. Beginning of some of that verse. And so, you know, it just, it weaves its way through all of Scripture. But we really can come through it when we yield to it. You know, I think about the, the, the grape and the olive and the wheat. When they're going through the crushing, what's actually happening? What's happening to those elements is that their structures are being broken down. Their ways of thinking, our ways of thinking. Every time I've been through, either made redundant or been through tragedy or you know, through the childlessness phase, what got me through that was yieldedness, was actually allowing my thinking and my thought patterns to be submitted to his My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You know, we have a whole sense of right and wrong and justice and injustice and fairness. You can't find fairness in here. It's not fair. Well, 
I show favor on who I show favor. You know, but we need to submit our thinking and our perspectives and our understanding unto the one who is greater and allow him to fashion and shape us and let go of our structures the things that we think hold us together and realize that it is actually him in the end who holds us together and we become broken pieces that he puts back together again but because of that he pours us out we are like the potter's clay Isaiah 64 8 but oh now O Lord you are our father we are the clay you are our potter and all we are the work of your hand in those times where stuff's happening I have learned through the seasons of my life and going through those various things those are the moments in time where God is actually building something into me he's actually taking that opportunity to go this is who you are this is what I want you to say this is the message that's to come forth from you. You know, where there's a time where we felt like everything we believed in was rejected. Every time we went and sat in a meeting and heard a message from the front, it was counter to everything we held dear. We sat in meetings that said the move of God in the 90s is old and over and gone and you need to forget about that and move on with what God's doing now. And it, we just felt like we got kicked in the guts. <laughs> Everything that we felt was important was being publicly ridiculed, set aside, and we felt an enormous sense of rejection in that place. But I tell you what, through that process, our belief in what God's called us to do grew stronger and stronger and stronger. And in the face of that opposition, God forged in us an unshakable sense of, no, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is, what, this is the bit of the kingdom that he has given us to bring. And there's, only a, there's a piece of the kingdom that only you can bring to those around you. Every one of us is called. Every one of us has a purpose. Every one of us has a message. And it may not be a massive message. But everybody has a message. And we need to understand that success in the kingdom of God is not about scale. Success in the kingdom of God is entirely about stewardship. Our way of living has taught us the more I have, the more I am. The more I have, the more successful I am. We look at the guys that have the big cars and the boats and the mansions and, and the big businesses and we go, wow, they are successful. By inference, if I don't have that, I am not successful. It's the wrong question. The question is, what have they been given and what have they done with it? What have you been given? Your mission field, your place of influence, the piece of the kingdom that God has given you may be one person. That's what God is giving you. That's who you are meant to influence. That is the piece that only you can do. And if you do well with that, you will get the reward 
that's exactly the same as the guy that was given millions of dollars and thousands of people. When you look at the parable of the talents, the guy that was given two talents and he multiplied two, the guy was given five, multiplied five, their reward is exactly the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Success is not about scale. Success is about stewardship. What have you been given? And you've got something to say. Every one of you has got within you a message. And I want to tell you today that that message will be forged in the fire. It'll be forged and come forth out of your life experiences. It'll come forth out of what God builds into you in the narrow place. I've come to love the narrow place. When I first started feeling squeezed and contained and hemmed in, and it's like, I hate this. We would cry. And we would wail at God. But I've seen so much beauty come out of our lives because of those things. And I know that that's where I grow. And that's where God does in me things that he can do at no other time because that's where I'm broken. That's where I'm open. That's where I'm yielded. When life's, I mean, I wish I could get myself to, those, to that condition when life's great. You know, it would be awesome if, you know, I'm on the beach and it's a great sunny day and the surf's up and it's you know, awesome and life's awesome and I wish I could be as yielded, broken and open in, in those moments as I am. But there's something about desperation where there's nowhere else to go but him that actually positions yourself, positions you for breakthrough and positions you for something good. It's what God builds into you at that time. And I th often we think we're a long way away from God during those times. And, you know, it can be like a wilderness season. It feels like a wilderness. Where's God? Where did he go? Well, he says he'll never leave us or forsake us, so he didn't go anywhere. But we feel like we're all alone and we're in a wilderness season. And sometimes we go into that place of, what did I do wrong? But those wilderness times are not the wilderness of the Israelites. They're not the wilderness of disobedience. Those times are Jesus' wilderness. They are the wilderness of your identity. When Jesus was baptized, he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. And what happened in those 40 days? At the end of that 40 days, the enemy came and tested him around his identity. If you're the Son of God. But you see, Jesus knew who he was, and he knew what he was here to do. And that's exactly what happens with us, is that we go into those times of wilderness, and it's not because we did anything wrong. But the Lord is taking the opportunity. It's, almost, it's like the Holy Spirit is leading us <laughs> into the wilderness. He's taking that opportunity to forge in you who you are, and what it is that you're to say. It solidifies who you are. 
And the key to surviving the wilderness, the key to surviving this is all about trust. We have to trust that God is good. You have to sit in that place of God has my best interests at heart all the time. And I don't think we do that very well. When life gets hard and stuff starts to come against us, there does rise up in our heart, uh, why are you doing this to me, God? Are you, are you actually for me? Is the, is the other side of this experience good? Is this in my best interest? And so what happens in that moment is that we pull back and we don't yield to the process. But I love David and his trust of God is phenomenal. God knows what he's doing. And David, just after Absalom had taken over the kingdom and David had fled there's a wonderful passage in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 25 and 26. And they'd fled with the Ark of the Covenant, and David's like, it's not right that it's here. It needs to, the Ark needs to go back. To Just think about that. David is sending the presence of the Lord back. Trusting in God. Because this is what he says. The king said to Zadok, Return the ark of God to the city. And then he says this, If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. Send it back. And if I find favor with God, then he'll bring me back. Father, I just trust you. Can you hear the yieldedness in his heart? Whatever you want, Lord, whatever it takes, but it's right that your presence is in the city and I will trust you as to whether or not you bring me there or not. And then he goes on to say, but if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him complete surrender David's in exile he's in his narrow place but father whatever it seems good to you you can do God knows what he's doing and he's bringing through you something new there's something that only you can actually bring Isaiah 43 see I'm doing a new thing now it springs up do you not perceive it God's been speaking to Lindley and I about continually being on the edge continually trying to position ourselves in what God is doing and we're like, but we don't know what we're doing. And he's like, I know. And he said this, I want you to be novices in the new 
not experts in the old. And so he, we, because when we get comfortable in what we know, this is how it goes. And we can do all kinds of things in our own strength. But the place of anointing, the place of the flow of the Spirit, the place of what God is doing is not in what I'm doing without Him. So I'm coming to embrace this very uncomfortable feeling of I don't know what we're doing. I don't know how. But what it's doing is it's driving us into God. And you know what? He really likes it. Because we just have to trust Him. And when in that place of trust, what trust is all about faith. And faith pleases God. Yeah. And it's that, it's that place off the cliff. You don't experience... God meeting you until you've stepped off the cliff and if God doesn't catch you, then you fall. You know, I don't, I'm standing here on this floor, it's solid. I don't need God to carry me here. But if I was up there and I stepped off the platform, that's where I need God. You need God in that place of, actually, if, if God, you don't catch me, we're going to crash. And that's the faith, is when you step out and you don't know what's going to happen, but you know God is good and he will catch you. And God is building into us the sense of it's okay to not know what you're doing because our dependence on him is just growing week by week. And I'm coming to peace about that and actually finding that place of unknowingness to be hugely freeing because I know that I'm partnering. I know that that I am co-laboring in that place. When I do something that I know I can do in my own strength, well, there's this question of, is God going to show up or not? But when I do something that I don't really know what I'm doing, then God has to come and be there because he's good, and he is. It's like putting a demand on the anointing. You know, John Arnott taught us this very, very well. It's like you put a demand on the anointing and let God meet you. And so we need to let go of trying to be Masters, experts. You know, our, we spend a lot of time trying to tell people they need to be, achieve mastery in a given field. You know, you have to do something 10,000 times and then, the, then to, be, to master it, you know, the numbers they talk about. But God's been speaking to us about, actually, I don't want you to achieve mastery because I am the master. And actually, to be fair, we don't have time to achieve mastery in this thing because the kingdom is moving. And if we achieve mastery 
we're going to find actually that what we've got, we're now mastered is not relevant anymore because <laughs> it's over there. So when we run with God in a place of, okay, Lord, it's all about you and I don't have to have it all right and I don't have to have all the answers and I'm just trusting you and I feel like a novice right now. God's like, good. That I can work with. That I can use. You know, there's that wonderful parable in Luke 5 that talks about the um, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. In the King James, it says, the old agreeth not with the new. The old does not agree with the new. And as God moves, how many times have you heard people say about something new that God is doing, I don't agree with that? Preaching. But you see, if we go in the place of actually, I don't know. I'm a novice, but I'm trusting my heavenly father because he's good. And I allow my structures and my perspectives to be molded and shaped by him. Then I will never fall into the place of, I don't agree with that. Because I only agree with him and what he's doing, I'll do. Even if I don't understand it. Because his ways are not my ways. So what's your new? What's God putting in you? What is the message? What is the scroll that's come from heaven that's dropped into the top of your head that's got words on it that only you can say? And it's not someone else's message. It's your message. And I try and encourage our worship leaders at church to go, you know, I have my, I have my worship preferences. I like it this way. But if all of my worship leaders try and worship lead the way I like them to worship lead, then they're going to step out of the flow of their anointing. They're going to try and wear Saul's armor. So I say, you find your flow. Our goal in worship, one of our goals, is to usher in the presence of God, host the presence of God, worship God. And we have the most opportunity for that to happen when our worship leaders and our worship team are actually flowing in the anointing that God's given them, the way, them being them. You know, and, and those of you that, that preach or speak, you know that if you, you, know, you try and preach like someone else, it's a disaster. You know, when I, I started trying to preach like John, and I can't do it, and I started to think, well, maybe I should preach like Duncan. And uh, it was even worse. <laughs> you know, and it was realized that actually if I can be me, then that's where God flows. Because he's put something in me that only I can say. And, but, but we all start somewhere, don't we? I mean, when Lindley and I first started speaking, our first messages were the core values of Catch the Fire that, you know, have been around for 25, 30 years, and what God gave John and Carol 
way back. And so our first messages were John and Paula Sanford, Bitterroot Judgments, and you know, John Arnott's Importance of Forgiveness. And we would then talk about Mark Verkler's Hearing the Voice of God. And you know, our first Father Heart messages were complete rip-offs from people who'd gone before us. You know, we'd go to Ed Purick and say, that was an awesome message on father types. Can we have your notes? And then the next time we preached it, it was his message. We all start there. But that's not where we're meant to finish. We're meant to go on. And I think, I believe it's modeled in Scripture with Jesus and the John the Baptist and the disciples. So when you look at John the Baptist in Matthew 3, his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he just went through all of the, of the towns and the places, preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. Now Jesus comes on the scene, and he's baptized by John, and he goes into the wilderness, and he comes out, which we've talked about. And Jesus' first message when he comes out of the wilderness is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Starting place of Jesus was the ending place of John the Baptist. Now, Jesus never said those words again. He never said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He went on to say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he expanded on the revelation that John brought and started to tell us what the kingdom of heaven was like and that the kingdom of heaven is within us and within reach and all those kind of things. But then in Matthew 10 with the disciples... He's given them power and authority, and he's sending them out. What does he say to go and do? He sends the disciples out saying, go and preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The disciples' starting point was Jesus' starting point. And you will have that. We have that. Our starting point has been John and Carol. Our starting point has been the Sanfords. Our starting point was those people that input it into our lives, and then from there we have allowed life's experiences and circumstances and those things to fashion in us a word that comes forth from us now. And people will always see the heritage. They will always see the generations through us. They will see likenesses of those that have gone before us. And we honour those that have gone before us because they are phenomenal and they are still running strong for the most part. And that's what's so fantastic about the kingdom is when the baton is passed, the one that passed the baton does not stop running. Yeah. But they pass the baton and then they carry on running too. You know? but so what's going to come forth from you? What's your starting point? And what's God putting in you? And so I think there's a shifting happening in the body of Christ. There's too many people, in my opinion, that just go from teaching to teaching, conference to conference, looking for the next word from somebody else. But where is Bill Johnson getting his revelation from? He's not going to Andrew's conference, listening to Andrew's word, as great as it is, and going, oh, I'm going to preach that. No, Bill's in here. John Arnott is not running around trying to find somebody else's message. He's in here. And he's bringing the messages that we're listening to. But each one of us can do exactly that. Each one of us, teaching is good, conferences are good, there's lots of good stuff out there. I'm not diminishing that at all. 
But I'm saying you also need to go into the Word. You need to go into your secret place with the Lord. You need to be going, what's my message? Because I have got a place to deliver it. And you deliver that Word on Monday. Where do you go on Monday? Do you go to school? Do you go to work? Are you at home with your family? What's your Monday? Because Monday is your mission field. Monday is where God has put you. Monday is what you're meant to influence for the kingdom of God. Monday is where your message needs to be preached. And only you can touch your Monday. Nobody else here is in the same place as you on Monday morning, unless you sit desk to desk or side by side on the assembly line. Unlikely, I would imagine. So your Monday is very important. Your Monday is where God uses you. There's a very limited number of people that can do what Lindley and I do. You know, I think there's something like 2% of Christians are in some kind of paid Christian employment. Right? So 98% of us don't have that. And even I only do it part-time. <laughs> you know, so we, it's not about doing this. It's not about standing in front of, in front of a group of people preaching a message. It's not about prophesying over people in church. It's not about worship leading as good as Josh was. It's about Monday. That's where God is going to use you. That's what he's equipping you for. And I think there's a, a, thing, a revisitation coming of the, the gifts of the Spirit where we've actually, in the 80s and the 70s and 80s, we did a whole thing around, you know, what our gifts of manifestation gifts and, you know, gifts of the Spirit and ascension gifts. And I think it was all really good stuff, but we confined it to how does it operate in church? But what does prophecy look like at school? What does prophecy look like in the workplace? You know, what do all those gifts look like in the different contexts in which we find ourselves? How does spiritual gifts operate on Monday? And we'll do another series on that at some point. We're just figuring it out. But I think that's how we actually influence people. It's how God can use us. But he wants to do it through what you're being poured out as. And is, are you being poured out as the clear oil? There's a purity that comes through brokenness. Paul talks about himself being poured out as a... Or Peter talks about Paul being poured out as a drink offering. No, it's Paul. It's Philippians. Paul. We are all to be poured out as drink offerings to those around us. It's the generosity of the kingdom. Your life spread out for many. And you see the, the, the parallels and the feeding of the 4,000, feeding of the 5,000. A little bit of bread, a little bit of fish just gets multiplied. And God will multiply you when you allow yourself to be broken and poured out. But the pouring out will be that word. But we have to say yes. We have to say yes to what God's doing. You know, Mary, Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And her response was, be it unto me according to your word. 
Mary's yes ushered in restoration of all things. What will your yes usher in? It's homework for you. Who knows what God can do through you? Your yes is powerful. Mary is a young girl. I'm sure she didn't feel like she had a lot to offer the world. I'm sure she felt like, you know, who am I? What can I do? What can I bring? What gifts, callings, abilities, anointings, what do I have? Maybe those were were her questions. But in her yes rested the salvation of the world. What's in your yes? What can God do through you? And the beauty is you don't have to be an expert. He actually calls you to be a novice. And God will pour out through you and do amazing things. First Peter 1, 3 to 9 in the Passion Translation. I just want to read this over you. Close your eyes and then we'll pray. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born into a perfect inheritance that will never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It's promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy, even though lately you have had to put up with the grief of many trials. But these only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes. For even gold is refined by fire. Your authentic faith will result in even more praise, glory, and honor when Jesus, the anointed one, is revealed. You love him passionately, although you do not see him. But through believing in him, you are saturated with an ecstatic joy, incredibly sublime, and immersed in glory. For you are reaping the harvest of your faith, the full salvation promised you, your soul's victory. Let's all stand. Father, I come before you along with everyone here this morning, this afternoon. And Father, we just commit once again to yield our hearts and yield our lives before you. And Father, we pray, I pray that you would use every trial, every circumstance, every situation where we feel hemmed in, contained, frustrated, hindered, Every place where we feel like we are in a narrow place, where we feel crushed even, 
that, Lord, you would build into us something great. That we might hear from heaven the words you want to flow through us to others. Father, connect us with the people that you've put in our lives that only we can influence, only we can speak to, only we can be the hands and feet and love and voice of Jesus too. Who are those ones, Father, that are right in front of us every day? Father, connect us to our purpose, connect us to our message, and connect us to our voice, that we might trumpet the goodness of God in this nation.